We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig here. Today we are breaking down some running back battles. We're almost to the end of preseason. We are just a few weeks away from NFL season kickoff. So we got to figure out which of these backfields are, are the ones to target, uh, some uh, handcuff options to fade, things of that nature. Let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome on in, John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on today's edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today, it's all about the backfields. We're talking running back situations uh, that are particularly, uh, you know, heavily weighted for fantasy purposes. You know, a lot of ones that are that have been tricky to figure out, and and that's obviously reflected in the market for a lot of these teams. So we're we're going to figure out. Is the player dra- drafted the highest of a certain uh, running back group? Is Are they worth it at ADP? Or if not, uh, which of the backups are the ones to target? So, Mario, let's go ahead and, and just get right into it. I want to start in Philadelphia because I feel like we, we have yet to really set the record straight on this Philly backfield. Maybe since, you know, they, they got Rashad Penny earlier in the offseason and I don't know if we fully unpacked it after they went ahead and got DeAndre Swift uh, during the draft as well. So we we have those guys in the fold. There's also Kenneth Gainwell going much later. DeAndre Swift, um, like a seventh round pick generally in, in uh, underdog best ball, uh, maybe a little bit later now. And, and Rashad Penny uh, somewhere in like, in like the 10th, uh, 11th type of round. So um just go ahead and, and give us the explainer. Give us the primer on, on what um, your approach is when it comes to this Philadelphia backfield. Well, uh, this has gotten a little more complicated recently. I guess it's been about two weeks now that uh, most Philadelphia Eagles beat writers have observed Kenneth Gainwell getting the most first team work in practice and therefore are concluding, you know, for understandable reasons, uh, reasons that I don't. Uh, believe but understandable enough that they'd conclude oh Gainwell must be kind of the starter then and that it could be true I guess it seems highly unlikely to me the main reason I think it's highly unlikely is that Gainwell is objectively 
nowhere near as talented as DeAndre Swift or Rashad Penny, and particularly as a runner, a pure runner, Gainwell literally might be like half as good as Penny. Like Penny behind an offensive line like this could average over significant volume, mind you, Penny could average seven plus yards per carry, something like that. And we've already seen Gainwell play two years with the Eagles, and both of them were favorable circumstances. I liked Gainwell as a prospect out of uh, Memphis quite a bit. He was a great player there, uh, really stood out as a pass catcher in particular. And that is, I think, kind of why the Eagles have to throw him a bone this time of the year, because there's no pass catching room in this offense from the running back position. And you have particularly the way that the Eagles run Jalen Hurts and set up the run structure for him. It's at the expense of the infrastructure that would go toward running back targets. So Gainwell's best trait doesn't even have room to manifest in this offense. And that uh, that doesn't mean they you know don't have a use for him. It just means he's a backup and they might on some level recognize, you know, he's a little bit overqualified in the sense that he could be catching 50 passes on some other team that isn't ours. So we don't want to like alienate and we don't want to discourage the, you know, the hard work that he's doing. They probably like him as a culture guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's not uh, common that you see a player as young as him take on the volume and just like trust level that Memphis gave him. So he's probably a totally standout culture guy, a, a player you want on your team and you want the players on your team to be more like basically. So uh, when you see, I would also imagine Boston Scott is like this because they've they've made a point of keeping four running backs just to keep that guy around the last two years. And that's the other thing, four running backs. So it's one thing for the Eagles to give Gainwell first team reps in training camp. It's another for them to let that indicate anything about their actual long-term depth chart plans. And especially if they're keeping four running backs, what does it matter to them? What unit each guy is running with like they they know what penny can do they know what swift can do they traded a fourth round pick for swift so they're not just gonna put him on the bench uh what, it, what this looks like to me is a combination of like trying trying to demonstrate and instill earn it culture you know sh- show to the team hey just because we traded for swift just because we signed penny just because penny was a first round pick and swift was a second rounder just because they were both you know big stars wherever they were before that doesn't mean anything to us because we're about earning it here. We're about, you know, proving yourself to, within our culture here. And so that's that's one thing that it could be, is, you know, as far as why Swift and Penny might not be getting as many first team reps as Gainwell. And it's something that will change over time. You know, it's like Swift and Penny will eventually start getting more. And when the when the games start for real, when the real bullets start flying, the Eagles are quite simply left with the, the question of, do you want to give these carries to the players who will get you the most yards? Or does something else matter to you more than that? And they're free to make that conclusion. No one can stop them from saying like, well, we we don't care about the actual returns as much as some other thing that we have in mind. But that's the trade-off. You cannot, as Kenneth Gainwell, run as well as Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift for physical limitation reasons, if only. Like Gainwell is 200 flat, 5'8", running a 4'5 flat. So that a player with those traits cannot keep up with someone like Rashad Penny who's running a 4'4", 6 at 220. Or Swift, who's you know four four eight at two twelve, you can't keep up with them. They they can go from point A to point B faster. Uh, the production, especially Penny, his production in his career has shown he's got as good a vision as anybody in the league. Uh, you know he's, he's a totally lethal kick returner at San Diego State. In addition to uh, you know averaging almost eight yards a carry there, so Penny is bigger, faster, sees the field as well as anybody. There is no possible way 
that Gainwell can match him as a runner. So I, I think it's pretty clear, like Gainwell could be the hurry up guy. You know, that's something for Swift to worry about maybe, but if there's carries to go around, it's, it's Swift and Penny. There's no question that they're the best options. It's, it's 100% not debatable. So I guess my, my thinking when it, when it comes to this Eagles backfield, um, I have a decent amount of Rashad Penny. I, I haven't really drafted Swift much at all um, since, since he got traded. Um, I haven't gotten a lot of Penny uh, like this summer, like probably for, from July onward. Um, but I, I think, it, and I have drafted a decent amount of Gainwell, but th- this was a, a different discussion essentially of just a few weeks ago where, where Gainwell was someone going in like the Gus Edwards zone, you know, like 15th, 16th round. Later I even, think. I think, yeah. So I was fine with getting shares of, of Gainwell then because my – presupposition for it was essentially Rashad Penny and, and DeAndre Swift. Yes, they're better players, but they get hurt a lot. Maybe there's a way that, that Kenneth Gainwell just by, you know, injury um, happenstance sure. on, on the Eagles backfield. Like I, I basically it was, it's a simple equation of like a opportunity for, for some volume and a cheap draft price um, was enough for me on Gainwell. But when, when you're talking about him in the 13th round, uh, like you are now, uh, there there needs to be a little bit more. We did this last a, year, break. right? You remember that, yeah? Like, uh, and I, I, I admittedly fell for this a little bit because relative to Miles Sanders, I actually am, you know, a Gainwell truther. So last year there was that hype. Of, looks like Gainwell could be taking first team reps from Sanders, and it just turned out to be absolutely nothing at all, one hundred percent nothing at all. So. I uh, yeah, I, I like you have mostly taken Penny of the group and admittedly, it's a lot easier to, to justify any of these guys in best ball than it is in redraft because in redraft, you pretty much you don't need one of the other three to get hurt. But to go into your weekend with any sort of clarity on your starting options, you kind of do, because if, if all three of those guys are healthy, it's three wild cards. You know, it's like it's like. I don't know the actual probability of guessing that right, but it, it can't be that good. And you're kind of just buying a ticket to a ride and you don't know where it's going. If you, if you have to roll with those guys and redraft when all three are healthy. So uh, primarily drafting best ball, it's been easy for me to, to justify taking penny. Uh, he's not, he's not a, I, I would doubt anyway that he's like a top five most owned runner, but for me, but it's probably pretty close. And like you said, it was, it was probably like the 11th, 12th round i think i was taking him before uh, yeah before um i don't know if it was the draft i can't remember when he signed with the eagles but i feel like i took penny a decent amount before he signed with the eagles uh or like way back earlier in the offseason so that might have been why i slowed down a little bit because his uh adp jumped like three or four rounds once he did sign with the eagles but it's not because i'm averse to taking him now if if i'm not taking penny now it's more like someone took him before me uh, before i had the chance to or uh I just am too specifically going at a different position in that part of the ADP, something like that. I'm definitely not afraid of Rashad Penny in best ball, even with all this doom and gloom. I'm sorry, reality, material reality matters a lot. And the talent with him, I don't know why we still have to have this argument with people, but it's like you cannot argue that Rashad Penny is anything less than a top 10 pure runner in the NFL. And I would be absolutely shocked if the Eagles have no interest in that. It's it's. I feel hacky saying it, but yeah, it's all, it all, when it comes to Penny, it just comes down to like, is he healthy or not? Because when, when he is, like you said, the, the returns are 
indisputable. Um, that that guy is a total beast. It's just a matter of of uh, is like he a going truly to elite runner? It's like mm-hmm. it, it, to to leave to not take that to not take that easy free yardage as the Eagles is inconceivable to me. So I I think that he'll end up paying off. Do you think that uh, Swift pays off at, at as an eighth round guy? Well, with Swift, my only concern is the price. Really, it's I'm not so much. I, I am not specifically saying Penny will outproduce Swift. I I don't really want to mess with that pr- proposition at all. I have no idea which way the specifics are going to go. It's just when Penny is two to three rounds cheaper, that makes the decision for me. If Swift were going in the eleventh and Penny in the eighth, I might have exactly as much Swift as I do Penny, and I'd have maybe as much Penny as I do Swift, which is to say not much at all. I don't have, I don't know if I have more than like two or three teams with Swift on them. So uh, it's not because I want to fade Swift. It's because I'm obviously high on Penny. And uh, with that said, if, if, if Penny were hurt, Swift is definitely the best Eagles runner. As much as I'm, I'm talking about Penny being the best Eagles runner, Swift is very good as a pure runner. He's good as a pass catcher too. It's uh, similarly to Penny. It's only the scaling up of volume. That's the question uh, because durability reasons. But if, if Penny is, for some reason, unavailable or whatever, Swift, you know, he could average six yards a carry in that offense. Yeah, they, I mean, the offense in and of itself is going to move the ball on the ground um, at will and probably through the air um, at will as, as well. I only have one Swift share. I, ju- I just checked, whereas uh, at Penny, I have him on about 10% uh, of my roster. So I probably have a little that. more than that. I'm probably like at 20 or something like that, which is conventionally a high exposure rate by, by, you know, big portfolio player standards. Hey, I mean, you, you're the penny guy, man. So, so it'd be, it'd be weird if you were, if you were like under 10%. Yeah. You got, you got to go. It's uh, it's, it's in the bylaws. Um, Let's, let's get on over to our, our next backfield. But before then we got a message from our friends over at fan tracks. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league. Invite your friends and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty football platform in the industry also top dog in uh college fantasy football uh, in the midst of a of one more uh college fantasy football slow draft as we speak got brock bowers uh as i of course did nice. coming from another service not a problem fantrax can easily import any of your current leagues and rosters and customize if needed Ever ever trade go wrong or make a mistake in dropping a player? Fantrax has commissioner tools that allow you to undo any move with one simple click. Is there anything lacking in your current fantasy league manager? Fantrax likely has it. Fantrax is running a special promotion that you don't want to miss. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash Rotowire today to enter for your chance to win tickets to any regular season game, NFL game, that is, for you and your entire league, plus $6,000 in spending cash. That's right. Tickets for your entire league. Simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Again, that's Fantrax.com slash Rotowire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to a, our next backfield. And I think that this is one that, that's interesting. It's, it's the backfield that, that Rashad Penny uh, just left this offseason, but they've rebolstered, obviously, through the draft with the addition of Zach Charbonnet. I'm talking about the Seattle Seahawks. So uh, Kenneth Walker has has been, you know, it, this sort of hard – how do you, how would you describe the the Kenneth Walker market since the start of training camp? It you know with with the injury and everything holding him out, um, it, it feels like there's been a bit of a freeze, maybe a cooling um, on on his market a little bit. And do you think that Zach Charbonnet catches up in your in your rankings and projections? Do you still like Kenneth Walker as a fifth round guy? Do you still like um it? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Zach Charbonnet as like an eighth round guy. Um, that that's a pretty close you know, gap between the two of them, your thoughts here. Well, I had zero interest, zero, zero interest in Kenneth Walker back when he was going in the second round, which he was early in the off season. Then of course the draft happened, not just Zach Charbonnet, but even Kenny McIntosh, a conceivable issue for, for Walker. And it's uh, been a fall, like you said, to like the fifth round, 
And then I guess it might've gotten a little worse yet since that uh, groin injury that he came down with early in training camp. So I'm looking at the NFFC, the Rotowire Online Championship NFFC from the past four days. And uh, granted, n- not um, actually, this is a pretty good sample size. 22 drafts. And Ken- Kenneth Walker is fallen, has fallen to the 60th spot in the ADP. I don't know how uh, the standard deviation of some of these picks might be kind of high. Like, for instance, Javante Williams is ahead of Kenneth Walker in this at 58. But that's because one person took him at 42. And I don't know. I don't know how many, you know, goofy picks like that are kind of throwing off the, the average. Maybe the median would be a little different looking. But behind Javante Williams is a pretty big drop because Williams had been going around like the eighth, ninth. And granted, the the improved news around Javante Williams, uh, his knee recovery, that explains some of it. But man, that's like a that's a pretty that's a pretty high uh shifting range for the two players and walker i think can keep going down you know it's he's he's two picks ahead of jk dobbins in the order and i've been, i've taken dobbins over walker like 10 times so uh that's i guess to answer how high i actually am on walker not as high as dobbins you know whatever, whatever even though i find the price palatable for walker in the fifth round i'm still not really doing that my own uh Maybe that's wrong. I don't want to fade the talent. I, th- I think Walker is a totally good player, but I am also quite high on Charbonnet. I probably, I, I don't do that thing that people do where they try to make like an, an out of 10 scale and grade prospects. But if I tried to do that, I probably would have had Charbonnet ranked higher than Walker as prospects. So between the two, it, it's a little bit, again, like the DeAndre Swift Rashad Penny thing. The question of which one is actually better is something that I don't even really ask myself when the price difference is like that, you know, in this case, upwards of like four and a half rounds. Although we'll see if Walker keeps slipping. I mean, if that, that margin gets smaller, uh, I'm not going to lose, you know, the, the, I'm not going to lose the faith with Charbonnet, but if, if I see Walker in the sixth round, that's going to be tough to pass up, even though I might even then feel a little icky about it. At this point, I can't even convince myself that Walker is definitely better than someone like Damian Pierce, so that's that's why I get a little bit anxious about it. But, you know, if the carries are there, Walker is going to take it a, a good distance. You know, he's he's no bum or anything. Do we think that there's room in this offense for, for both of them to, um, you know, come close to, to returning value at their ADP? Just Charbonnet, I think. I mean, if, if uh, Walker comes through in the fifth round, it's because he did decisively hold off Charbonnet in, as a runner. It would have to be, you know, as a pass catcher, that's not really on the table for Walker. And uh, as a runner, I don't know what you'd need. You'd almost need like a two thirds, one third kind of split. Maybe. I don't know if like, I don't know if 55, 45 does it for Walker at ADP, you know, and that's, that's a real risk. It, that's how I've been approaching it. And therefore I've been much more in on, on getting Charbonnet and, and, you know, to, to be clear, it's not always the case of just taking the, the cheaper guy is, is better. But when the, uh, the, the talents are essentially equal, then you can play that ADP game. And, and I think that Charbonnet is just as good, maybe even better um, than, than Walker as a prospect. So I have 20 percent Charbonnet. Um, I'll continue to, to acquire shares. Uh, I, I just think he's the real deal. And I I'm think heavily they, invested. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, I mean, as as good as Kenneth Walker is and, and can be, I think he's, a, you know, well above average running back. Um, I, I just feel like Charbonnet, uh, one of the best in in this class and and certainly someone that that I think has the skill set to really transfer over nicely to, to this level. So I'm going to continue to to just um, 
Charbonnet is going to be my, my stock answer uh, anytime that, that Seattle's backfield's brought up. Yeah, same here. And uh, not not to cast any gloom over us uh, Charbonnet truthers or for, or for the Walker truthers, but we really can't totally count out Kenny McIntosh, in my opinion. If it was DJ Dallas, who's their so-called pass-catching specialist, I'd be like, ah, who cares? That guy sucks. But McIntosh is a little different than Dallas. He's He's got real proven high efficiency high volume pass catching ability so if there's some way for it to somehow go wrong for both walker and charbonnet it would be something like mcintosh taking you know 20 snaps a game on which he could draw four targets or something really quick like that so with mcintosh is he someone that you'd consider like 20th round on DraftKings best ball uh, you know there's there's that thing again where it's everything is permitted you know some of these week 17 weeks week 16 uh running backs who play and, and determine a lot of fantasy championships because the starter on their team got hurt. There there are worse players than Kenny McIntosh who end up on that list over the years. So I can't say don't take him, but I'd have to be putting up like thousands of dollars in, in uh best ball entries, which I don't. Um, so I'd have to, I'd have to have incredible exposure to a lot of players before I'd start getting to the point of hedging with McIntosh. Although it could be the right answer. He's if he gets snaps, he will catch passes. There's 100% certainty in that. It's it's just hard to see how he would get snaps. And then tangentially, when it comes to Seattle, I mean the the big story there this week being Jackson Smith and Jigba having that wrist injury. Um, you know, so where, where are you on uh, Metcalf and, and Lockett? Do you see either of them climbing up? I, I feel like Lockett is more the guy that's going to move move up. Fairly considerably, I think. I don't. I don't know how much more room there is for for Metcalf to to move up, though. Yeah, Metcalf is maxed out, and uh, I, I guess I hadn't maybe seen the latest news on in, uh, Smith and Jigba. He's out for, for week one, pretty much, but we don't know beyond that. I, I think he he hasn't even gotten the surgery yet. As of Thursday morning, is uh, the the last I, I looked. Um, so if if that's the case, it, and you know we're we're just a couple of weeks away from from kickoff, uh, I'm guessing that that you know we we could be waiting until later September. Uh, I am not a doctor, but uh, I, I'm concerned about that when it comes to Jackson Smith and Jigba, and, and you know uh, a different injury, but he had a hamstring injury last year that basically kept him out for the for the entire year that that happened in week one. So I'm starting to worry about the the durability a little bit here. Well. I feel better about a broken bone than I do uh, tissue injuries or ligament injuries. So because Smith and Jigba is polished, I think he'll be plug and play whenever he's healthy. I'm not really worried about him coming back rusty or, you know, coming back and then being like, well, you need to get him more reps in practice. Like he's ready to go. Uh, That that's, that's one thing that was clear about him as a prospect is like, he's definitely, uh, a natural slot receiver like he he he's just kind of born to do it so i think he'll be ready to go whenever he gets back but yeah as far as whether it's week two or four i guess i have no clue don't really know how to factor that in to his adp but if if uh smith and jig was out for for three weeks or something i don't know if that's enough for me to really move up locket a whole lot because i looked at it as locket would be on the field for you know, at least 80% of the snaps anyway. I didn't see Smith and Jigba as someone who was going to take Lockett and put him on the bench. What was on the table was that Smith and Jigba puts one of those three good tight ends on the bench a little bit more than they were last year. So 
whereas uh, in this Rams game, especially what you're just going to see is about 110 snaps for those three tight ends. And then Lockett and Metcalf are going to play almost every single snap for receiver. And uh, the difference would have been if Smith and Jigba were healthy for that game. Maybe, uh, maybe the tight ends don't play 110 snaps. Maybe they play 90 or a hundred or something. And uh, that's, that's the difference. They're going to run more while Smith and Jigba's out. They're going to maybe go a little bit slower pace because they don't have wide receiver depth to put on the field. You know, they, if they, if they go up tempo with Metcalf and Lockett as their top two receivers, and one of those two gets gassed, then the next receiver up is bad enough to kind of make the whole offense shaky. So I think they want to keep the game a little bit slower, keep the offense closer to like 55 snaps than 70. And, uh, you know, lean on Walker, lean on Charbonnet, make those tight ends play a lot. That's how they're going to get through it. So uh, Lockett, I think, doesn't really stand to benefit that much from from Smith and Jigba's uh, absence. But I also don't know how many people looked at Lockett all this time and projected, you know, playing time uncertainty on the basis of Smith and Jigba. I never I never believed that. So this doesn't change that much for me. OK. All right. Well, well said there and and uh, sort of preempting, uh, let's say, JSN is out for week one. Just a hard no on on any uh, uh, other Seattle receiver that might step into a into a role that that week for like oh, DFS purposes. Like they don't even have Marquise Goodwin anymore, right? So who's who's uh, I, I don't believe in um, D Eskridge. Uh, Jake Bobo is the right answer, everybody. Jake Bobo. <laughs> you see that play where he uh, did the slowest double move of all time and broke the ankles of uh, Deron Bland. I mean, Cowboys. it was it was just like I was watching uh, Hopkins against uh, who was that ancient uh, D'Angelo uh, Hall. D'Angelo Hall, yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty funny. It's like it's like watching someone get their ankles broken by like Drew Bledsoe or something. It's crazy. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I I I guess I'd have to say, wait, Eskridge is like suspended. What the hell's going on there? Um, I don't know what maybe what do you do? I don't know what is going on there. Anyway. Uh, it's pretty much just him and uh, oh yeah Eskridge just suspended six games man what a stupid pick that was uh, <laughs> who could have known John who could have known that it was a bad idea to take the 25 year old uh, Western Michigan receiver in the second <laughs> round over a bunch of really good players so anyway it's that third receiver if not Smith and Jigba it's got to be like Derek Young I guess Cody Thompson maybe Cade Johnson but yeah I, I, um, I feel safe ignoring Jake Bobo for some reason okay all right. Well, well done. But uh, we had to had to at least clear that up. But that 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 uh, that covers us when it comes to Seattle. Our guy Jake <laughs> has been waiting uh, for an answer on this one. Kind of an interesting league setup where um, tight ends and running backs get half point PPR. Receivers um, get the standard scoring, so so not point per reception. Jake is picking at five. He's expecting uh, McCaffrey. Justin Jefferson, Austin Eckler, and Jamar Chase to be off the board. So who would you take uh, with, with the fifth pick? I, I see Eckler climbs up because yeah. of the scoring advantage. That's tough. Standard for receiver, that's a that's a, I guess, quite a wrench would, to throw in. Would you do Kelsey? I was kind of leaning that way, yeah, because if I'm thinking running back, the next one for me is not B. John Robinson. It's Nick Chubb. But I... I uh, I'm not expecting Chubb to make it to the second round pick in this league, but maybe Kelsey and whatever the best running back or whatever receiver is better than, you know, starting with Chubb and going wherever you would. But 
Yeah, I think it's between Kelsey and Chubb for me. It's Tyreek, I guess, if we're talking receivers. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit. It's hard for me to think of this through because it's been like literally eight years since I've thought about how I, how I think about standard scoring, and I, I am worried about both underweighting it and overreacting to it. And I, I'm like, I'm flocking to non-receiver to just uh, for a sense of safety. So. With not much confidence, I guess I'd say Chubb, but uh, yeah, Kelsey or Chubb is, I guess, how I'd lean. Yeah, I, I would go Kelsey. I, I generally don't love it in conventional formats um, going the Kelsey route in the first round because I feel like it almost forces you to take Mahomes, and then you, you're you know you have to start drafting your receivers and running backs in round three. So that that's a whole thing. But in this league, with that with that little bit of a, a tight end premium wrinkle. Um, I think Kelsey would be my guy um, it, uh, at number five. And then if any of uh, Eckler or Jamar Chase uh, were to fall as a result of, of that and things get shaken up a little bit, I'd be totally happy taking either of those guys at five. Yeah, for what it's worth, I have personally, I have Chubb ahead of Eckler. So, uh, but I also agree with every single thing you said about Kelsey. Like it's a, it's a confusing spot to be in, but it's not a bad one, I don't think. Yeah, you just you have to know what your roadmap looks like um, after that. You have to just kind of accept that you're going to be playing catch up at, at, at running back and receiver until um, you get that sorted out. But you don't have to worry about quarterback or tight end uh, for quite some time, which, which allows you to, to you know, kind of stockpile things. Um, before we get on over to our next uh, backfield to break down, got a message from our friends over at Rival Fantasy. If you're looking for a place to play head-to-head fantasy football games without the huge tournament salary caps or complicated game types, then Rival Fantasy is where you want to play NFL this season. From a twist on a classic game with Fantasy Bingo, where players generate a lineup to complete achievements and get bingo, to head-to-head fantasy challenges where you'll pick which of two players will score more fantasy points, this is the best of fantasy sports for the 2023 NFL season, Rival Fantasy is offering new users, new users a $200 deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. Rival Fantasy is so confident you'll love the experience. They're giving you money to play out of the gate. Experience the future of fantasy sports on Rival Fantasy and become a rival today. We also got a message from our friends over at Fantasy Sports Knockout. Think you've got fantasy football all figured out? Think again. Introducing Fantasy Sports Knockout, a new Survivor Fantasy League that's worth the challenge. A season-long tournament where every week matters. Strategize, draft, survive. High effort uh, with even higher stakes because who likes losing? Draft your lineup. Use any players you want, but be careful. You can only use each player once. The lowest scoring entry is eliminated each week. The concept is simple. Survival is not. Stop losing. Start surviving in the only league where skills are tested and strategy pays off. Learn more at survive.fantasysportsknockout.com slash rotowire. Again, that's survive.fantasysportsknockout.com slash rotowire. Fantasy Sports Knockout is available for real money in certain states, but anyone can play in a user-created league. So if you uh, know fantasy, prove it. Visit survive.fantasysportsknockout.com dot com slash rotowire today you have to check that out that's if, if survivor for fantasy i'm intrigued um let's see here mario um let's get on over to knowledge where the new orleans saints play 
what are you doing with this backfield? I, I really, I can't make heads or tails of it. I was hoping that, that you might be able to do that for me. So the disclaimer here is I'm, of course, quite low on Jamal Williams. Uh, I think he's something like the 50th best running back in the NFL. Uh, but because he's an anime character, there's a, a certain fandom for him. The sense that like, oh, he's he's pretty good. And I just I want to represent No, he is not. He's he's uh, kind of like a free space on a bingo board in a game where it's like you, you, you know, there's no such thing. Uh, he's, he's like a free space in the sense that like he can maybe kind of keep everything else moving along. Like he can't maybe single-handedly destroy an offense, but I hate that sort of that. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. That, that sort of concept of a running back. Like, let's just get someone who doesn't screw up. It is so easy to get someone who helps and he does not help. He's, he's a, at best like a, a light anchor that uh, for some reason they carry around everywhere they go. And he, he cannot help you get better from scrimmage. It's just 100% off the table. And he's not even a uniquely good short yardage guy. He runs hard. He uh, he has to. He has to try every snap is desperately, you know, because he, he can't win on the basis of his talent. So I think going from the super easy, favorable playing circumstances of the Lions offense and their offensive line to any other context at all introduces a near certainty that Williams will average less than four yards a carry. And if your running back averages less than four yards a carry for uh, any reason other than team offensive collapse, that running back sucks and I have no real use for them pretty much. So I I think that when Alvin Kamara is healthy, even if Alvin Kamara has declined so much, somewhat, which I don't believe necessarily, it's possible, I guess, but the evidence that people point toward, I entirely reject like it would have to be on some other basis other than his numbers the last couple of years I think pretty clearly his issues with the last few years have been the falling apart of the Saints offense around him and in that in that sort of transition to failure as an offense they started taking away his target rate and and turning it into carries so the the uh, carry uh, the the yards per carry dropping is is kind of just as simple as that in my opinion they they upped his volume they made his rushing attempts more predictable in the context of the offense overall falling apart you look at his t- per target numbers they're almost exactly the same and i think there's more insight in that because that's a demonstration of what happens when kamara is in the open field and maybe maybe all along it was true that kamara was never the sort to kind of create his own space maybe he needed the space there for him a little bit but that's you know that's that's largely true of of you know almost all running backs and at the same time not many running backs at all can do what Kamara can when that space does exist so I I think if he were slowing down his past catching his per target pass catching returns would have fallen off and they have not yet so I think that Kamara has been one of the best values all year uh, all offseason I should say and uh, granted, it's a little easier to say that now that it's a three game suspension that we know of, not a six game. But I I thought, you know, he, going around the 10th round, he, he could even if it were six games, if you can get 11 games with Kamara, I think that's that's probably worth something like an eighth, you know, and now we might get 13 from him. So Williams, I don't look at as anything other than kind of a, a human shield who takes the short yardage, thankless carries that there might be to go around. You know, if, if they know whoever's getting this carry is going to get rocked, time for Williams to go into the game. Kamara, we need for making an actual play later on. So granted, that could occur at the goal line. But 
Kamara, whatever his whatever limitations he's ever had, has always been a really good uh, red zone runner. He has yeah. long he has long touchdowns as a runner too, but he has tons of short range touchdowns, so many. And uh, that was even even with his incredible pass catching production, that touchdown rate was largely the basis for Kamara ever being a first round fantasy pick because he'd get you 15, 16 touchdowns on like 190 carries. You don't do that when you're bad at running in the in the red zone, you know. So I am even skeptical that Williams will take a significant amount of short yardage, especially red zone stuff, because if you need points, you're not putting Williams out there At, at best. You're putting Williams out there because you are thinking too highly of him in your offense. And you're probably going to pay the price for it, at which point you can choose to keep not learning the lesson or you do. And you just put Kamara out there when you need points and you put Williams out there when you don't. So that's how I see it breaking down. Kendra Miller is an interesting twist. Uh, he's a tough eval- He's a tough prospect for me to evaluate with no testing data. I, I don't think anyone's good at certainly at least I'm not good at looking at tape of, uh, you know, especially like a, a really spread out. Uh, almost like Art Bryles kind of offense that TCU had. It's tough for me to tell how fast everyone is, especially a running back who uh, running backs don't run at full speed all the time. You know, it's, it, they rarely do actually. So it's, it's, uh, it's tough to, to distinguish good short area burst or something with real speed. Cause a lot of times what comes across is like speed out of the backfield is just a guy running as hard as he can. Uh, usually running backs are a little aren't running as hard as they can because they're waiting on certain reads before they cut loose. And, um, you know, it's 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 tough to know how that player is going to look, how fast they're going to look in the NFL, where there's definitely more processing to be done. Uh, you're not going to have, you know, this this thing that, you know, Kendrick Miller would see at TCU where like there's like six players in the box for the defense and the corners are 25 yards out to either side and the safeties are 30 yards downfield. That's, that's not going to be happening in the NFL. So he's going to have to sort of see different things, uh, react physically to certain cues that, that he didn't have in the college level. And um, I, I just don't know what to think of him as a result. I, I, I wish he had that 40 time and stuff so we could have sort of um, a standardized measure of his athleticism. So uh, with that said, Whereas I, I think Jamal Williams is just not good. Uh, Kendrick Miller could be good. And I I don't know which way. I, I don't know how much I believe it. But the production is certainly great. Uh, he didn't show anything like bad. I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't know any negatives with Kendrick Miller that come to mind. But to steal from a player like Kamara, you can't just be passable. You have to be probably one of the better running back talents in the league. So particularly coming back from the meniscus. Uh, I know he's fine right now. I know he did good in that preseason game, which was you know nice to see. Mm-hmm. I just happen to think the Saints plan is to keep Miller mostly in a break glass in case of emergency kind of role. And in the meantime, giving Kamara a ton of work because he costs a lot this year and is pretty clearly either going to get cut, traded or renegotiated in the off season. So I would guess Kamara's on another team in 2024, but in the meantime, they're trying to compete. They have no interest in like hiding Kamara. There's nothing. There's there's only the incentive, if anything, to run him into the ground before they cut him loose after this year. So, what you're saying is Derek Carr is the running back kingmaker. Um. I, I guess in the sense that they didn't sign Carr to tank, you know, like they're they're trying to they're trying to compete right now. 
So yeah, the the if they had a uh, if they went into the year with Andy Dalton, I'd feel a little. I'd be like, oh, are they doing a tank? Are they just gonna? Are they gonna try to keep Kamara in sh- you know shrink wrap until the off season and then cut him so that he he's healthy enough to get a big contract as a free agent? Uh, well, that, that that wouldn't matter because they they're cutting him. I I I, yeah, I think they're gonna run him into the ground this year and uh, cut him after this year. It's it's just uh, at that point Miller is the replacement plan. But in the meantime they're looking to get their money's worth out of Kamara. Yeah. So I, I looked, I have no Kamara. Um, so I'm going to need oh, to, wow. to go ahead and fix that. Uh, before, well, it's not a need thing. Off. It's just, uh, it's like, especially if you were going kind of light at running back, like zero running back, so to speak, I would much rather uh, have Kamara and Charbonnet as my one, two, than like James cook and Rashad white, especially mm-hmm. since the, the other two, the latter two cost more. Like it, I'd rather have the cheaper guys straight up uh, Kamara and Charbonnet, let alone uh, at, at the particular prices they go. Yeah. So I'm again, I'm going to need to rectify that this Kamara uh, uh, glaring hole in my uh, portfolio. Um, let's get on over to Chicago. Another um, just kind of muddy situation. It's sort of like uh, maybe like a poor man's version of, of the Eagles one where, you know, we're expecting uh, the, quarterback to you know soak up a decent amount of the rushing share but unlike philadelphia there aren't really like standout talents that you can even delineate the top two um in in this backfield or at least the market doesn't seem to be able to do that correctly and you know i sometimes will see khalil herbert going inside the 10th round and it's like what what's going on there um you know i think there's a lot of hype from draft people when it comes to roshan johnson so what is your approach when it when it comes to this Bears backfield? How is it going to shake out over the course of the season? I have no idea, and I don't think anyone has actually any idea. You'll, you'll see certain narratives that kind of claim to know or have strong reason to believe it's going to go this way or that. I think those people are either confused or sort of um, carnival barking, basically. And I have, of course, come across as a critic of Roshan Johnson, but I'm a critic of the particular narratives that people are doing these days where they're, you know, it's, it's this it's an environment of uh, fan fiction kind of culture, choose your own adventure type nonsense. And people are projecting like Superman memes, basically, on Roshan Johnson, this backup running back who saw the most of his playing time in college at, at against backups and in blowouts uh played behind not just b john robinson but also keontae ingram so i i don't understand why so many people are s- desperately squinting to see some way that oh sure roshan johnson's inevitable it's he's he's gonna be the guy who uncle ted off. thinks so uncle ted's on the roshan train he's a career backup and so it, it's really amusing to me that people specifically to justify the the, the hype with roshan johnson they they say like well priest holmes backed up ricky williams okay priest holmes also played behind the best offensive line of all time with the chiefs and uh ricky williams i'm sorry is a way better prospect than b john robinson so hell yeah if you really want to go with a case that's like the one out of a million exception that's still a terrible case to, to even as far as one out of whatever the hell it actually is goes you couldn't find like a much bigger stretch, even with that already ridiculous stretch category that you're starting in. 
So Roshan Johnson has a few things going for him that are good. I mean, he's, he's not a bad player. He, I would take him over like Jamal Williams, you know, like I, I uh, granted that that could prove to be wrong. There's totally a possibility that Roshan Johnson's no better from scrimmage in the NFL than Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams was a better player at BYU than Roshan Johnson was at Texas. But I do think Johnson has a better, uh, has a better tool set than Jamal Williams. Like Jamal Williams, he he's uh he's not a heavy running back and he's not a short stout running back and yet he's kind of dependent on power functions which i i you know being taller lacking the anchor is not the way you want to play that game roshan johnson is a bit heavier than jamal williams and a bit um, more explosive at that weight so i think jo- uh, roshan johnson has more real anchor than jamal williams but uh it, the fact is the the production in college is not very good and i know that people will point to oh, he has this missed missed tackles forced per attempt like you this is why more fantasy football people should have to follow baseball cuz like i'm sorry you want to talk about 80 snap sample size as the basis for changing a guy's conventional grade from like round 6 to round 2 this is this is crap science crap math reasoning every sort of discipline involved with this is being done at a shoddy level to reach this conclusion and guess what the charting sucks the measure is a made-up number and it's there's nothing to it simple as that there's nothing to it whatever signal there is in this missed tackles forced number that people love so much can be better found in other stats that already existed and are not conjured so that whole line of reasoning and it is the main line of reasoning that people push Roshan Johnson with all those dynasty Twitter people were, were just like 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 parrots repeating this line over and over and over it's a joke it's nonsense it's complete gibberish and there's no reason to take it seriously so if we're taking every if we're looking at this the, the material reality of this all it's that we have a fourth round backup a, a career backup in Roshan Johnson who can catch passes can block and can run and is probably a slightly above average raw athlete but he has no production to indicate a plus skill set. We have Travis Homer, who they're paying for sure to stay on the team, who has demonstrated a passing down skill set already at the NFL. You know, the main the main calling card for Roshan Johnson that people try to, aside from the missed tackles force thing, they try to go, oh, well, well, Deontay Foreman and Khalil Herbert aren't pass catchers. Pass catching and pass blocking is so important nowadays. That's why Roshan Johnson is going to pull away. That's a case for Travis Homer then. If you're saying that, it's a, t- it's a case for Travis Homer, not Roshan Johnson. And I'm not saying go pick Travis Homer. I'm very much not saying that. I'm saying all of these guys are going to play and everyone's going to be pissed off the whole time. So I'll take Deontay Foreman in best ball. And I'll take maybe Khalil Herbert in best ball. If he falls a little bit, but anyone selling you some line about how this guy's going to take over, this guy's going to take over. No, they're all going to be there. They're going to get, you know, guys are going to get nicked up, miss some time with injury. But other than that, they're all going to be there and everyone's going to be mad the whole time. They're going to be like, why? Why is stupid uh, Matt Aberflus giving carries to, to stupid Deontay Foreman? Don't they know he's got a bad PFF pass blocking grade? Too bad. Doesn't matter. They're all playing. Shut up. Oh, I can't. I can't wait for the Sunday cope. Uh, like week one Sunday, um, just being on Twitter and, and like if, if Roshan's like a healthy scratch or, or like gets like one carry, people are just going to like clip whatever like uh, uh, doomed from the start play what for the Bears might might run that day and be like, see, look, this never would have happened if, <laughs> if Roshan was out there. Look at this I'm play in, uh, in the, the 56-21 fourth quarter blowout of the Colorado game. Can Travis Homer do this? You know, uh, that, that stupid clip that everybody loves to post. Uh, I should say, 
there was some uh, doom and gloom from even the big Roshan heads yesterday because the the Bears running back coach um, said something like, "Oh yeah, uh, Khalil's probably going to be the starter." You know, Deontay's doing you know Deontay Foreman, uh, Tristan Ebner's out there doing good, and he, they named Roshan Johnson last out of uh, you know uh, Herbert, Deontay Foreman, uh, Homer, and Tristan Ebner of all people. So. I, of course, don't believe Roshan Johnson is nearly as good as a lot of people believe. But one thing you can take for certain, certainly take for granted, is uh, Tristan Ebner is not ahead of Roshan Johnson. So I would have to concede there's no basis of assuming Travis Homer is either from that statement. Uh, there's no way Roshan Johnson's the fifth running back on the depth chart because Ebner's not making that team. Uh, I did love Tristan Abner in college, but he's still an interesting like practice squad type, which I assume is what what the Bears believe too right now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, beyond beyond that, yeah, it, it's not going to be that bad for Russia. They're just I don't see that this you know based on what we know about him and what we know about the, this team construct, I just have a hard time seeing him like even if he somehow gets all this opportunity, really like turning it into much, and I I doubt that he ends up having enough volume to, to be startable on a week to week basis and, and redraft. And uh, there, uh, you know, I think there's a possibility where maybe he scores in, in your best ball team, but that's a best ball team that probably uh, isn't doing so hot. And he's worth picking up in uh or, you know, drafting in a redraft. I just think it's point blank. One of those situations, you need some of those other guys to get hurt before you have any clarity at all. Yep. So uh, I'm just gonna gonna leave that be. I, I mostly leave that that Bears backfield alone. I will I will take Foreman on occasion if I if I need a running back because he's the um, cheapest that late. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm good with that. And you know he's got some legitimate NFL production under his belt. Um, Elias wants to know. Uh, I'm interested in this too, Mario. Would you rather pick fourth or twelfth uh, in a in a twelve man uh, league this year? So I guess that he's set in his Kentucky Derby style uh, draft slot. Four, I don't really like picking four, and I do like picking twelve. So I, I think it's pretty easy for me to to go twelve. I think that there's a, like a clear line with with uh, Jefferson, Chase, and, and McCaffrey being the top three, and then I think that there's you know a, a drop off after that. Whereas twelve, like you're positioned so well to um, go any any direction. Uh, I think you're, you'll be happy with it if whichever running back you can get end of the first early second and, and vice versa with, with the receiver. So I, I like, I think 12 gives you more flexibility. Um, and, and I think uh, potentially more value. I think I agree with that. I love Tyreek Hill. You know, I'd, I'd love to have Tyreek Hill shares, but it's the second, third round that looks worse than the 12th round spot. And I love going out of the first round with like whatever Garrett Wilson, Nick Chubb, something like that. And uh, you're not going to get that caliber of a running back at your second round pick if you have Tyreek at the fourth pick. So, yeah, I like 12. And it, when you have third round reversal, it's no contest. Uh, that like nine through 12 range is really nice in third round reversal. I, I find that when I'm picking 12th or, or 11, something like that, um, a, a Chubb Garrett Wilson or Chubb Devontae Adams start. Yeah, uh, that, I, that's the cojones start. I, I feel real good about that one. St. Brown and full point PPR, I think, is you know really, really good foundational piece. So that's where you're taking those guys. I've been getting more Devontae Adams recently, and I don't really know why. Maybe it's a little FOMO because I just had like 180 really targets last year. I know, and it's just like I've been <laughs> ignoring it for this long. Like I just 
I, I love the upside with um, with Garrett Wilson. Uh, St. Brown, I, I get less of a half-point PPR, but DraftKings is a different story. But Adams, I feel like it, it's just it's out there in the open, and everyone's so pessimistic about the Raiders, but it's like, doesn't that mean that the Raiders are going to be playing from behind all the time and needing to throw it, and they have no one to throw to except Devontae Adams? And we know now that if Jimmy, if and when Jimmy G goes down, AOC is just going to be throwing <laughs> bombs. So problem solved. Yeah, I mean O'Connell. Wow, he he could be a rich man's David Blau. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it it is a little concerning to me the 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 Hoyer O'Connell stuff. I didn't like O'Connell that much as a prospect. To me, he's a uh, just a backup. Could be wrong. Um, if if Garoppolo gets hurt, I, I hope I'm wrong about O'Connell because it'd be a shame for a player as good as Devontae Adams to waste a year of his career. But uh, yeah, if you're asking me to to talk you down from Devontae Adams, I'm not really the person to do it. I've, no, I've also not. I've also held a lot of anxiety about even going with like someone like C.D. Lamb over him. Uh, Garrett Wilson over Adams is easier for me because I see the upside more easily with Wilson, but with C.D. Lamb. It's more in that Amon Ra category to me where it's like, this is a, a nice solidifying pick, but I, I'm not going to get the wide receiver one with this pick. Devonta Adams could be the wide receiver one. And you're right. We might be overstating the risk that he ends up, whatever the worst case scenario we're thinking of is like wide receiver 10 or something. It can't get much worse than that, honestly. No, no, I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, sticking with the Raiders real quick, um, then we'll, we'll hit one more backfield. Uh, Jake wants to know how we are feeling. A little temperature check uh, on one Josh Jacobs, because um, I think he's going to go. He's going to report to the team the week of week one. But you know, we're how close to game shape is is he? Um, you know, and and what does it mean for for his ADP? You know, I guess he he's what like a mid fourth type of guy at, the, at this stage. Uh, I believe oh, he's going third. more around the, the third, fourth turn kind of thing. And uh, sometimes probably a little earlier in the third round. I'm a little concerned about it. So I have no no concern or not much concern about someone like Jonathan Taylor showing up week one. I think as much as Josh Jacobs clearly is a very hard worker and you know incredibly tough, he's A, not the freak athlete that someone that you know Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb are, and B... I think there's just a little bit different. I, I am totally speculating here. I just think there's a little bit different of a mindset between the two. Like Josh Jacobs, clearly a totally serious football player, works out all the time, clearly stays in great shape. But Jonathan Taylor is one of those guys who uh, I, I don't know if, if like if he didn't have football, his life would be some other sport. You know, like he's he's just one of these people who is always in Olympic level shape. And it's the only, it only can be that way because it's the only explanation for how he's been so productive, especially as a true freshman at Wisconsin, just stepping onto the field at 18 years old and being a totally good NFL starting running back at that age. Like that's, that's basically a neurotic individual. Like he's, he's a neurotically hard worker. And uh, whereas with Jacobs, I worry about him overlooking something more like the stretching or something, you know, like Jacobs, I'm, I have no doubt pumping iron, you know, keeping keeping his uh his wind good, all that stuff. But I worry about him kind of pulling a hammy or something. And I don't know. I'm not in large part because Jacobs already has a tendency to get hurt. He he has a tendency to play hurt and play extremely well hurt. But I'm worried we're kind of pressing that margin a little bit with a scenario with a scenario like this. So I'm not going to tell anyone not to take Jacobs because clearly very good player. 
clearly a steal if he is anywhere near what he was last year. I personally am, am I guess, just a little too anxious to to go there. Uh, I I could very much regret that, though, for all I know. Yeah, I've, I've even at the decreased ADP, I, I just haven't been getting um, tons of Jacobs. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where I'm at with him. I, I think mid, mid for, like not if I'm picking between him and Najee, I think it becomes a, a little bit more of an interesting uh, discussion. But um, where where he's going right now, uh, you know, I, I just tend to never have to really answer that question. Um, before we round it out, Mario, let's hit one more uh, backfield. Let's go to the nation's capital. Uh, obviously, it's Sam Howell's world and we're all just living in it. Um, but in the times where Washington does have to run the football, who do you like between Gibson, Robinson, or uh, door number three? So uh, I don't believe Brian Robinson can play at all. I think he's, even as backups go, I don't think he's very good. So as a starter, he's pretty much a joke to me. Granted, this is a, this is a maybe, you know, good cult. He's almost certainly a good culture guy. You know, he's, he's a likable player. Uh, there's a reason why the people who work with him are generally fond of him. The problem is there's a big gap between practice and, you know, training camp and all that stuff where they, they kind of have this insulated environment where they're, they're, they're around these players a lot, but they're not getting so much concrete example of what they actually are in the, in the regular season when, when, you know, when things actually matter, they don't, they don't have a good sense of that and they get further away from that sense that understanding the more time that they have to look at things like well look how look how good brian robinson's character is look at how hard he's trying in this drill trying hard in a drill is good i guess it's better than not trying hard in the drill but it doesn't mean anything at all for the real games and when real games start talent matters robinson doesn't have it he tips off the run when he's in the game he can't run that well he's a below average runner and he let's just say he's a good pass blocker whatever uh does that really seem like much use uh does it does it seem much use for fantasy anyway if this guy even if he's playing a lot of passing downs he's not going to catch that many passes he's he's just he's too lethargic he's too it's too easy to see where robinson is going every single play as you as a defense you love seeing robinson on the field because you know he can't access you know, these parts of the field that you look around at a, you know, the field when someone like uh, whatever Kamara's on the field and you're like, Oh crap, we gotta, we gotta account for absolutely everything. Almost when Robinson's on the field, you're like, Oh nice. He's going, he's, he's going to be funneled right here. And if he doesn't go there, he's not getting it at all. And we don't have to worry about that. Having a player on the field with that kind of dynamic for an offense reduces your offensive sum to something like 10 on 11. And some teams can get away with that, you know, elite quarterback teams. Patrick Mahomes could get away with, with you know, he had Patrick Mahomes at Daryl Williams raking, you know, but with mm-hmm. even as someone who's hopeful for Sam Howell, Washington does not have such margins to work with. They are going to pay dearly the more they play, the more they play Brian Robinson. So what I see happening at worst, or, you know, at best, as it were, for Brian Robinson is he starts the year and quite simply loses playing time reliably every single passage of time that any unit of time from there, it gets worse invariably because Antonio Gibson's better from scrimmage and is better as a pass catcher. And Chris Rodriguez is so much more talented as a pure runner than Brian Robinson is. So time's almost up uh, is how I see it for Robinson. Chris Rodriguez uh, 
The guy's a load to bring down. Watched a, a bit of the streak-breaking game on Monday. I, you know, I was very sad to see the, the streak end for my boys, but uh, it was good to see Chris Rodriguez just running dudes over. It's like, he oh, can yeah, run. It's like I, I remember that. Um, Being able to run well. matters, you know, and Robinson can or, – sorry, Rod, Rod, Rodriguez can run, Robinson cannot. And it's it's super obvious in their stats. It's super. You turn on the clips of either of them in college. It's not it's not difficult to tell who's better. It takes it takes sort of like a brainwashing uh, in, in NFL media and fantasy NFL uh, social media to convince yourself that Robinson has actually anything on Rodriguez. Go ask any SEC defender. Go ask any SEC defensive coordinator. They go, Oh no, we hate playing Chris Rodriguez. We like playing against Brian Robinson. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, I think that predictability angle when, when it comes to Robinson um, is the problem there. So I, I did a best ball earlier this week, and both Gibson and uh, Robinson went in the ninth round, um, just a few picks apart. So, I mean, it, it's just going to be one of those things where you have to pick a side um, if you're in on, on Washington. I'm leaving that backfield alone, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't have any of them. If I was doing 30-round drafts, I'd take Rodriguez every time but uh, uh even as someone who says gibson over robinson easily i am not taking gibson i i i worry about the team being too stupid to use in the right way uh, i just i looked um and i typed in robinson into my exposure and i saw 15 and and i was like oh no how how but it was it was Bijan, so i felt, oh, okay. felt i had a, a slight panic there that i had 15 percent brian robinson with no recollection of doing it it's like a memento where i'm i'm tattooing my drafts onto myself every morning and i got another robinson share last if you night. uh if you need to do it to keep yourself from work to, to, to keep yourself from having the horror moment of thinking you drafted brian robinson then you should absolutely get those tattoos or okay. whatever write it on ink or whatever it is this is good tweet potential i, I need to uh contact someone that actually it's not worth the uh, blood shot. pressure spike no it, it's just simply not can't can't be having that um we got one uh special request for from uh listener uh live viewer james quick one mario San Francisco backfield. So uh, obviously McCaffrey's McCaffrey. How are you approaching it afterward? Are, are you willing to take Elijah Mitchell where he, where he goes and um, any, anyone else to keep an eye on in that backfield? I still like Elijah Mitchell. I know he's gotten a bunch of injuries and don't get me wrong. It's not encouraging to see that, but he didn't get hurt at all at Lafayette, or at least I don't remember him missing much time. Uh, on the basis of his frame, his weight, there was always reason to to think Mitchell had limited volume capacity. So uh, that that's something that just, in a way, the, the injuries being like, oh, that limits his volume capacity. I, I, I need to see him get hurt more before I consider this anything more than kind of bad short-term luck, these injuries that he's had. And if Mitchell can play, I mean, he he has volume limitations, yes, but per play limitations, he does not. He's one of the best running backs in the league per play. So I, I like Mitchell. Uh, if he keeps falling, I'll keep taking him. Jordan Mason is a pretty good player. He can, he can run at least. I don't have a good sense of what Mason can do as a pass catcher. I don't think Georgia tech really had room for him because him and Gibbs were there at the same time. Right. But uh, Mason has always done well when given the ball and he's, he's not a bad athlete. He's not a great athlete, but he's um, pretty good. Certainly a lot better than Tyrion Davis price. Uh, who cannot play. I'm sorry. I don't care if his training camp reports are better. This is 
this is not something we need to take seriously. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's evaluation of players is not something we need to take seriously. Tyrion Davis Price was not worth taking in a 14 round draft. You know, 1988, he's not worth drafting. So if he's going in the third round last year, I don't care. If he's looking better than last year, well, how couldn't he? How could someone be as bad as that was? Uh, and even if he is improved, he's he's only just in that sense getting in the conversation of even being anywhere near someone like Mason, which is still far from someone like Mitchell. So don't care about Tyrion Davis Price. If McCaffrey and Mitchell and Mason all get hurt, I believe the 49ers would probably be able to find a free agent who is still better than uh, Tyrion Davis Price, even if they don't know the system. So. Yeah, I think I think Tyrion Davis Price is going to get cut next year after being a healthy scratch the vast majority of this year. Yep. So uh, I think you know Mitchell fine wh- where he goes. Um, I, I I definitely endorse getting some shares there, especially with things getting a, a little bit complicated um, with the rest of the running back market at that particular uh, stage of the draft these days. Some moving parts, some injuries, and so on. But um, I, I do like Mitchell. Um, I, I think that he. You know, like we've talked about previously, can this, you know, running back two or whatever, can they scale up? Can they actually be good if they get the opportunity? And I, I think the answer is, you know, absolutely yes when, when it comes to Mitchell. Go Raging Cajuns. Um, but that's going to round it out uh, for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors over at Fantrax, over at Rival Fantasy, um, and also Fantasy Sports knockout uh for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening try rotowire today free for 10 days get our premium tools rankings analysis and breaking news alerts no credit card required go to rotowire.com forward slash try it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.